Welcome to Instant Reaction. What the hell did they call this event tonight? The Horror Show at Extreme Rules. And let's start with the obvious, what I think is the obvious. This event sucked. It was going through my mind as I was watching it. I was, of course, watching the Mets just not be able to hit against the Yankees in exhibition game number two. And basically every Yankee hit a monster home run capped off by Giancarlo's. But I was paying attention. I was watching. I was being open-minded. And from top to bottom, this sucked. It sucked when they came up with the name the horror show at Extreme Rules. I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan of the Extreme Rules gimmick pay-per-view to begin with, but they decided let's gimmick it up even more and let's call it the horror show. And this main event, which I just got finished watching, that's why it's an instant reaction. I literally stopped it 30 seconds ago. I have no idea what the hell happened. It was the Wyatt... Swamp fight match. Is that what it was called? The swamp fight between Braun Strowman and Bray Wyatt. First of all, there's no title on the line. Okay, so even though Bray Wyatt is the champion, he's the universal champion, no title on the line. It's a quote-unquote swamp fight. At least I knew going in this is going to be some cinematic crap. Like, I knew that going in. We've, we've kind of gotten used to that over the last few months that the WWE's thrown in a cinematic match. And for the most part, I don't really like any of them. I mean, the first one, the Undertaker, AJ Styles one, most people liked. I didn't like it. I did enjoy the Firefly Funhouse thing with John Cena. This was just, this was a bore. It was a bore because here's my expectation going in, and it didn't change based on the result, that this is a way of killing time. That's the way I look at it. Bray Wyatt is eventually going to win the, the Universal Championship. It's going to happen. I thought it was going to happen right out of the gate when this feud began a couple of months ago, but now they're going to wait it out a little bit. It's probably going to happen at SummerSlam, and they were kind of finding ways to sort of keep the Wyatt character strong, keep him mysterious, keep Strowman strong, and eventually Wyatt's going to take the title. So I figured going into this quote-unquote match or cinematic garbage, whatever you want to call it, it was basically, hey, we're just killing time. You know, we're just we're just trying to waste a pay-per-view main event to get us to SummerSlam, where the fiend Bray Wyatt will take the Universal Championship. I don't even know what was going on during this match. You know, at first, all right, Bray shows up at the Swamp. All right, they're going to fight. At least, here, I'll give you this. At least the Undertaker-AJ Styles thing was a fight. They fought. They beat the crap out of each other. I didn't love it, but it was a fight. I don't know what this was. First of all, Strowman's fighting two masked guys. One of them I thought was Dean Ambrose for a second. Obviously, it wasn't. Then I actually thought it was Chris Jericho. Then I thought I was watching AEW. I didn't know what was going on. Then he gets tied up, and I guess Bray Wyatt wants him to join his club again, even though he doesn't really have one anymore. He's not leading a stable the way he used to. So he wants Braun Strowman to join him. Strowman's like, I'll never do your dirty work. And then the only thing that I thought was a redeeming quality, and maybe I got this wrong, but this is the way I interpreted it. It looked like Strowman won. It looked like Strowman threw him in the swamp and they put the trademark up. And once the trademark went up, we all assume, well, the event's over. But then the trademark came down and blood or some red color is in the swamp, and then Bray Wyatt pulls him in, and then the Fiend's face is there to end the show, 
which is essentially what I just said would happen about a minute ago, which is this is all building up towards them having, I guess, a real match at SummerSlam where the Fiend, Bra- where the Fiend Bray Wyatt takes back the Universal Championship. That's where I think it's going. But this cinematic thing, I don't know how long it was. It was probably 15, 20 minutes. It just bored me. And maybe I'm just not into the cinematic match. Because even the Cena-Wyatt thing from WrestleMania, it wasn't a match. It was entertaining. That's the way I looked at it. I didn't look at it as a match. It was just some kind of entertaining vignette. This wasn't entertaining. The only thing entertaining about it was, when's it going to end? When am I going to go upstairs and uh, record a podcast that you know, a few people will download. That that was really all I cared about. It just sucked. It wasn't any good. And look, I, I do think, and I've thought this for a while, this will eventually end with Bray getting back the Universal Championship, a belt he shouldn't have dropped to begin with uh, when he lost to Goldberg many, many, many moons ago. But uh, this just felt like a waste of time. And look, a lot of times, the main event is going to define your show. I remember we did a podcast on, I don't know, what did I do? What are we, <laughs> a back, wasn't it backlash? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and Dennis has a podcast, did a joint backlash retrospective. And I think it was the Roman Reigns Samoa Joe match. And that sucked and it shouldn't have been the main event. And that kind of defined the event. This main event defines the, the rest of the event because I'll go through these matches. There was nothing that was that great. You know, I'll start from the beginning. Cesaro Nakamura versus the New Day. It was fine. It was, you know, it did its run of the mill tables things. You know, New Day is real talented. We know that. We know how good Cesaro is. We know how good Nakamura is. It does feel like you're watching a match in which there are numerous guys that probably should be competing for a championship. I mean, it was not long ago. Kofi Kingston was the king of the WWE after winning the title. Cesaro has been underutilized for a decade, and Nakamura, after a, a, a really big top-notch push early on, he's forgotten about. So it was okay. It was fine. It was a nice spot to end it with Cesaro putting Kofi through the two tables, and they win the Tag Team Championship, which just allows the New Day to win it back in a couple of weeks so they can become, what would it be, nine-time Tag Team Champions? It was fine. It wasn't a bad match. Nothing to kill. Just, okay, blah. I've seen it before. The bailey Nikki Cross match was, again, felt like filler. It feels like we are filling time for Bailey before she eventually feuds with her best friend, Sasha Banks. That's the way that match felt. There was never a moment where I thought Nikki Cross was going to win. I don't really care about Nikki Cross. So that match was blah. Then, I, and look, I don't know what's going on with Apollo Crews. I guess we could surmise what's going on with Apollo Crews. But the problem the WWE has is while it's entertainment and they're trying to get us away from the real world, sometimes you can interject the real world. If Apollo Crews is sick, then just tell us. You know, just, just be honest about the whole thing. Instead, you know, Apollo Crews is going to fight MVP for the U.S. title. And I'll get to that in a second. The fact that MVP's fighting for the U.S. title in 2020. But it just it's odd because Apollo hasn't been on TV in a while. So the buildup to this feud has been all about MVP's mic skills, which he's good at. They come out, there's a pre-existing injury, Apollo can't fight, MVP claims he's now the U.S. champion. I do like the, the look of that new title, though. That is pretty cool. But MVP? No, I liked MVP back in the day. I did. And when he came back, how many months ago when he came back? 
I thought it was a one-off. You know, give us the cool return of MVP guy from the mid-2000s. Now he's fighting for the U.S. title? He, he'd be a great, and maybe this is where it's all going to go with him, he would be a great manager. He'd be a great guy to get on the mic, get guys over, which he's, I guess, essentially doing for Bobby Lashley right now. But nobody wants to see MVP wrestle. I mean, he, he doesn't even look like he's in great shape. Now, who the hell am I to say that? Obviously, he's in better shape than me. I just mean in, in general for pro wrestling, he's not in great shape. All right, let me get to the Rollins-Mysterio thing because in many ways, this is probably going to be the most talked about thing coming out of this event. It's probably the quote-unquote lead story coming out of this event. And I guess there would be some that would love it, that would say, oh, that was great. An eye for an eye match. You had Seth Rollins barfing. Ray is screaming. This is innovative. To me, this was just so over-the-top dumb. Like, who would like this? I mean, I described some people that would say it was good, but those people, do they exist? Anyone who, first of all, thought the idea of an eye-for-an-eye match was a good idea, and then the way it was booked. Now, I think we all knew Seth was going to win for obvious reasons. Obvious reason number one being it's Seth Rollins. He's kind of more of the star in this moment than Ray is. Ray is a retiring guy who's probably all about getting a son over. But the other reason why you knew Seth was going to win is that with Mysterio wearing a mask, it'll be easier to hide the eye coming out of his head. You know, I never thought this was going to be the cinematic match because what were they going to do? Like, what was it going to be a cartoon? I just didn't see how that was going to work. I knew it was going to be a match. I wasn't sure how it was going to end. I just knew Seth was going to win. And so essentially what they gave you was, number one, a pretty good wrestling match. I want to point that out because that'll be forgotten about because of the craziness of the ending. Ray can still go. He's not as good as he was 15 years ago, but he could still go. I don't think many people are emotionally invested in Rey Mysterio Jr., which is a slight problem. But he can still fight. Now, the, the, the thought in this match early on, and I understand professional wrestling is scripted and it's not real in terms of the results, so for anybody listening to this podcast, I can't imagine anybody's listening to this podcast that hates wrestling. They would have seen it come up if they've subscribed and say, yeah, I'm going to pass on that one. But for those who are listening, who like the, what's the word I'm looking for? When you, when you the, the psychology, that's what I'm looking for. The psychology of wrestling, right? You know, Bret Hart match. He's working on the knee. He's weakening the knee. All these moves to beat up the knee. In a match in which it's an eye for an eye, so technically you've got to get the other person's eye out of its socket, why would you, you know, do wrestling moves? Wouldn't the whole match be I'm scraping at this guy's eye? So the psychology early on didn't make a lot of sense. And then, <laughs> and then it's kind of anticlimactic because Seth's working on Ray's eye. Like at this point late in the match, he's ripping at his eye. And then it looked like he was going to go for some kind of big move, a curb stomp. But then you hear Ray screaming and the official says, oh my God, you got to call for the bell. Oh my God, it's out, it's out. And then let's get to the Seth throwing up part because I'm fascinated by this. Was it a real throw up? Was it kind of like a blade job with the blood? Is it fake throw up? And if it was fake throw up, where the hell did he get it from? I actually replayed this numerous times because 
I wanted to see if I was missing something. Did Seth get himself to throw up or did Seth blade job it with fake throw up? I'm leaning towards he got himself to throw up. That without the camera on him, and remember, you don't have to deal with live fans because everybody who's in the audience, all those fans are you know workers, I guess. They work for the WWE. What I'm assuming is they, they focused on Ray and Seth stuck his finger down his throat and got himself to throw up. Which, let me ask you a question. Again, psychology of this. If Seth is an evil heel, why would he throw up? Wouldn't he love it? Wouldn't he say, yeah, rip the eye out. This is great. Doesn't it make Seth look like a good human being that he threw up? His reaction to something so violent was, this is disgusting. I'm I'm a little confused because I I seem to remember the last instant reaction podcast I did for wrestling pay-per-view. I was talking about how Seth was being treated like a face, like he wasn't really being booked like a heel. I sort of remember that. You can go back in the archives, whatever the last pay-per-view was. It was backlash. That's what it was. Something happened at Backlash where I thought he was being booked as a, a better person than what he truly is. Or maybe I'm remembering this entirely incorrectly. I don't know. But what I do know is the throw-up means Seth is sympathetic to Rey Mysterio. What a horrible idea. You know, what writer sat there and said, you know how we should blow off the Seth Rollins-Rey Mysterio feud? You got to rip the other person's eye out. <laughs> I mean, who came up with that? Now, speaking of brilliant booking decisions, Sasha Banks against Asuka. I was mixed about this because, A, I thought this was going to be the best match of the night, and it was a good match. And I wasn't convinced Asuka was going to defend the, the Raw Women's Championship because of the fact, like I mentioned earlier about Bailey, this is all leading up to a Bailey sasha Banks turn. They're probably waiting for live crowds, which I understand. But eventually, that, I mean, isn't that obvious? The, the handwriting's on the wall. Eventually, they're going to split. Would you want them to split with both of them as champions? Kind of makes sense. So I thought, all right, maybe, maybe maybe Sasha takes the bell from Asuka, even though she's had it for such a short period of time. What I couldn't have imagined was their booking decision, which was, all right, there'll be a schmaz, there'll be some outside interference, and then Bailey is going to become the referee because it's magic. Once you put that shirt on, it's magical. Once the shirt goes on, you are instantly a WWE official. <laughs> and, and so I think it's obvious Sasha is not going to be the Raw Women's Champion. I mean, this is, I think the handwriting's on the wall for that too, that on Raw, they're going to announce, oh, wait a second. No, she was not an official official. We are ordering a rematch. And we'll get a couple of more good Oscar-Sasha Banks matches, which is nice. I do think it's ultimately going to end with Sasha getting the title, maybe at SummerSlam. Because I do think that that turn where those two eventually feud with each other could be bigger, better if they both have championships. But then I'm thinking about it out loud. Maybe it doesn't make sense. Maybe you need Sasha as the jealous one saying, you know, you're the champion. You've never given me a shot. I want that title. I don't know. Either way, bizarre. Hey, I put the ref shirt on. I am officially an official. We had the the WWE title match, which I was intrigued by. I was intrigued by, okay, I know McIntyre's going over. I know he's beating Dolph Ziggler. We all get that. Basically, they rolled Dolph Ziggler out every couple of months to take on a new or relatively new champion that they want to put over. I mean, think about it. 
Dean Ambrose a few years ago at SummerSlam for the WWE Championship. It did feel kind of random. Didn't feel like Dolph was the number one contender for it. The it should have been me garbage with Kofi. Remember that? Should have been me. And now this. They roll them out. And it's smart. They roll them out. Not that anybody thinks Dolph can win the match, but Dolph's a great wrestler. He's entertaining. He, he can have a good match with anybody. So I get it, but there was no drama. And boy, this is going to be the big moment where Dolph wins the title. The drama that they gave you was, what's the stipulation? And I was thinking about it once they made it obvious that Dolph wasn't going to tell anybody the stipulation until the event. Boy, this better be good. This better be creative. And it was all right. I mean, it wasn't wasn't the worst thing in the world. It was creative. You know, it was heelsy. Extreme rules for me, but not for you. It accomplished two things. It was heelsy, if that's even a term. And it continued to make Drew McIntyre look strong. That that is their booking of Drew McIntyre since I wouldn't even say WrestleMania, since the Royal Rumble, since his performance at the Royal Rumble against Brock has all been about I, I can hear it in Vince's voice. Make make McIntyre look strong. It's what they've been doing with Roman Reigns for the last half a decade. Now think about this, okay? You don't have a live crowd. We haven't had a live crowd in months. I don't know when we're going to have another live crowd. I believe Drew McIntyre is benefiting from the lack of a, of, a, of a live crowd. Why, you ask? You don't think that Drew McIntyre and the over-the-top way he's been booked, assuming it would have been similar if there were people in the crowd, and it may have been. I don't know how different it would have been. Let's give him a new opponent every month. Let's make Drew look strong. I don't think it would have been that different. I believe that since he took that title from Brock, the crowd would have turned on him. I believe it. Because ask yourself something, right? What is the real difference between Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns in terms of the way he has been booked over the last few months? The answer is there is no difference. It's all about making Drew look strong. That's all it's about. So in a match like this, extreme rules for Dolph, but ah, McIntyre, you get counted out, you lose. You really think the crowd would still be eating it up? I don't know. Now, that doesn't mean that, let's say, you know, in this hypothetical universe on October 5th, right? Live crowds are back, right? Or maybe Vince goes somewhere where they'll allow live crowds. I have no idea. I'm not saying that those crowds will immediately start booing Drew, because I think that once we get back to live crowds, live crowds are just going to be so excited that they're watching wrestling, they may cheer everybody. I don't know. But but think about it. You don't think the crowd would have turned on McIntyre? And by the way, I think the crowd would have turned on Strowman. I think these two champions are actually benefiting from the fact that there isn't a live crowd there. Because I think the live crowd would have cropped all over Drew McIntyre over the last few months. And it's not necessarily his fault. It's the way he's being booked. He's indestructible. He's so strong. Nobody can beat him. Now, will somebody beat him? You know, SummerSlam is a benchmark pay-per-view, whether it's at the Performance Center or it's not. It's a big moment. Titles may switch at SummerSlam. We've seen Strowman and McIntyre have these belts since WrestleMania. I mentioned before, I think Strowman's dropping it to Bray Wyatt. What's the plan with Drew McIntyre? And I was reading on one of the wrestling websites a couple of days ago, that maybe their thought is get the belt off McIntyre so that when there are live crowds, he can have his big moment. Well, you better be careful because he may not get that big moment because the crowd may be crapping on him. May not happen. 
The other problem is in Wyatt Strowman's case, Bray's a fine champion. And I think most of us believe he shouldn't have lost the title to begin with. So Wyatt taking it from Strowman sort of makes sense on a lot of levels. I don't know if there's anybody that makes sense taking the belt from McIntyre. You want to tell me Seth Rollins? Now, who are we talking about? I mean, who is that guy? You know, Brock Lesnar comes back. Nobody wants to see Brock take the title again. So I don't know. I think McIntyre may indeed have it for a while. I think one of the rumors was Randy Orton. Here's the thing about Randy Orton, okay, who I'm still bored by. The edge stuff is fine. And I think it's worked to a degree. If you put the belt on Randy Orton, if you have Randy Orton beat Drew McIntyre, and now Orton's what? Heel champion for the next six months? It's going to be boring as hell. So I'm not a believer that just because Randy's had a nice little program with Edge and now he's going to have a match with the big show, the legend killer is back. All these matches from a decade ago. I don't know if it's a good idea to put the belt back on him. But we'll see. We'll see. And and I'm curious how, and this is going to be a challenge, how they can make SummerSlam feel big when there are limitations to the crowds. You know, I expect another cinematic match, obviously. I don't think they're going to go two nights or anything like that. But I wonder how they can make it feel big. It is SummerSlam. AEW has done a good job at times of making things feel big. I thought what they did with that stadium match a few months ago, it just made it feel big. I'm not sure what the WWE can do, but they should try something because they've had pay-per-views, obviously, including WrestleMania, since the lack of crowds uh, with the pandemic we're all facing. But this is their first big pay-per-view. And I'm not going to count WrestleMania. It was it was basically, I mean, think about the timing of it. They didn't have a lot of time to figure out, hey, how can we make WrestleMania feel big despite the fact that we're going from a stadium into a performance center? And they tried. They made it two nights. They did the cinematic matches. So they did try some things to make it big. What are they going to do to make SummerSlam feel big? And we do have a SummerSlam retrospective coming up. Uh, in a couple of weeks on the Evan Roberts podcast, we are going to go through and analyze the wrestling matches of two individuals in their SummerSlam history, John Cena and Edge. So we'll do that coming up in a couple of weeks on the Evan Roberts podcast. I'm back with Joe after a little vacation, Monday through Friday, 2 o'clock, and it looks like sports is coming back. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Evan Roberts podcast. <laughs>